Let's take a minute and pray together. We mentioned in our prayer of confession that um, sometimes we expect little and hope for less. Let's ask God to change that. Lord, fill our hearts with the expectation that everything we were just singing is true, that um, when we come to the Scriptures, we are putting ourselves in the path of your transforming power. And uh, we open our hearts before you, and we ask you not to let us leave this place unchanged. Uh, Maybe you will shape us in ways that we're longing for. Maybe you would shape us in ways that we would be surprised by. Maybe you'll shape us in ways that if we had our own choice and preference, we would not embrace. But we trust you more than we trust ourselves. And we ask that you would give us expectant hearts that we would know clearly before the day is over what it is that you have changed about our, our thinking, our ways of leaning into the world because of who you are. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Redeemer, our Savior. Amen. So, um, telescopes. Have you been seeing these pictures uh, coming from the most recently launched telescope uh, images that just are breathtaking, right? I mean, wow. There are a couple of mistakes you could make with a telescope. One would be to underestimate the power and the significance of the telescope. You know, to kind of look at all that and go, eh, whatever. You know, me and my naked eye. Why do I need all that? (laughs) You know, I'm satisfied. Just go outside, look up in the sky, and that's good enough for me. Who needs all that stuff anyway? Of course, the second mistake you could make would be to... um, overestimate the importance of the telescope, to spend so much time learning how to use the telescope to help you see more than you could with the naked eye that you don't really notice if the lens is covered or not. Like like all your attention is focused on the telescope itself and you've forgotten to enjoy the beauty of the stars, the very reason the thing exists in the first place. Those are the mistakes that you could make with a telescope. You can do the same thing in the Christian life. You can separate, separate um, knowing Jesus from loving God's Word, right? We could say, okay, there's Jesus out there to be known and enjoyed and worshiped and loved, but I don't really need the Scriptures. Like, I can just kind of know Jesus with my naked eye. Why would I need something to help me focus on Him? This is good enough. Of course, the opposite error would be to say, I know the Bible backward and forward, but I've forgotten to know Jesus. I worked my telescope with a lens cap on. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but um, 
Last week, we just finished a really long sermon series, 66 sermons, one from each book of the Bible. Now, we didn't do it all in 66 weeks in a row, right, so as to not wear everyone out, but um, it was called Learning to Love God's Word, one sermon on each book of the Bible. Just as a reminder, God loves us and He gives us His Word so that we don't have to be satisfied with either of these errors. Um, I want to take two weeks to wrap that series up to address these mistakes, separating knowing and loving Jesus from knowing and loving the Scriptures. We'll call it the Bible is the Word of Christ. Two, two weeks to focus on that. We'll begin with several Scripture readings, which uh, Caleb's going to come and read for us now. Today's readings remind us that Jesus loved God's Word, the Scriptures. We'll hear one reading from each of the four Gospels in the order that these events happened in Jesus' life. From Matthew 4, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. From Luke 8, as he was teaching in a crowded house. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. From John 17, praying for his disciples just before he was betrayed and arrested. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. From Mark 15, during his crucifixion, reciting the first words of Psalm 22. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week I was in a coffee shop sitting next to a man I had never met before, but I wanted to meet him, and I knew it because he was wearing a Star Wars shirt. And I was like, hey, man, I love your shirt. And he reaches behind his laptop and he picks up his mug and it's Darth Vader and Obi-Wan having a lightsaber battle. It's a Star Wars mug. And I'm like, this is my guy. And we start having this great conversation about the Star Wars universe and everything in it. And um, you ever known someone like that who just loves something so much that it flows out of them? Like this guy, he's passionate about Star Wars. He wears it, he drinks it. He breathes it. He bleeds it. Jesus was that way with the Scriptures, what you and I would call the Old Testament, and he wound up giving us what you and I would call the New Testament. Jesus loved the Scriptures. He loved God's Word. He loved the Bible. It flowed out of him. He breathed it. He bled it. His love for God's Word showed up in everything that he said 
and did. The Bible is the word of Christ in a lot of senses. Let's start in that place right there. The Bible is the word of Christ in that. It, um, well, it tells us what Jesus said and did. The particular part of the Bible that I'm thinking about here is uh, what we know as the four Gospels, the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God's Spirit gave us these documents for one primary purpose, so that we can know Jesus. Now, we could list a whole lot of other purposes underneath that umbrella, but the main reason you use a telescope is so that you can know the stars better. The Gospels were given to us so that we can know Jesus through the things that he did and the words that he said. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 14. Let me uh, read for us just a couple of verses from John 14. Uh, Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus said is by causing people to write these books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, it wasn't some mechanical dictation process. Right? It wasn't like the Holy Spirit said, <clears throat> okay, Luke, I want you to go into a trance now. And when you wake up, uh, 24 chapters of your gospel will be complete and you won't know anything about it. It's not how it happened. Jesus spoke about this too. The Holy Spirit used the um, personalities and experiences and backgrounds of these human authors. He worked through them to produce the Gospels. Uh, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 15. So a couple verses there, starting with verse 26. Jesus said, When the Helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will bear witness about me. Okay, the Holy Spirit is going to come and bear witness about Jesus. Give evidence, give testimony about who was Jesus. What did he say? What was he like? What did he do? The Holy Spirit's going to do that. But then the very next thing Jesus said, John 15, 27, you also will bear witness. You, my apostles, my closest disciples, those of you who have known me from the beginning, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here's this kind of cooperation between the testimony given by the Holy Spirit about who Jesus was, what he said, what he did, and the, the involvement of these human writers uh, Matthew and John were among the 12 apostles to whom Jesus spoke these words. Mark was one of Peter's closest disciples, and Luke was a close co-worker of the apostle Paul. And so Jesus' apostles either write or, or have close relationship with those who write these four gospels. The Holy Spirit worked through these human beings to give us reliable testimony from eyewitnesses and earwitnesses of the things that Jesus did and said. How is this possible? How can it be that these documents about Jesus are reliable even though we just said they were given through human beings? 
flawed, fallible human beings, guided by the Holy Spirit. But man, the moment we say human authors had something to do with producing these documents, we tend to assume, don't we, there's got to be something wrong with them. Well, hang on a second. God does this a lot. He, he gives a message that's greater than the messenger. Think about how he, how he does this in the natural world. What's a star? It's a big fire in a vacuum. Right? It's this exploding ball of gas somewhere out there in the cold recesses of space. In the case of our sun, that star, it's not a very distant recess, and so we stay warm. Um, but what's a star? Well, you could say it's nothing but this kind of collection of molecules and chemical reactions, and yet walk outside at night, and what happens to your eyes? And then what happens to your heart? The message is greater than the messenger. We write songs about stars. We write poems about stars. We go long distances so that we can be in a place that has no lights and see the stars. We love the stars so much we want to know more about them. We invent telescopes. We spend years developing those telescopes and launch them into space. And then we ooh and ah over the pictures that come back because there's something radiant and glorious and beautiful about this thing that, well, it's really not that big a deal. It's really just this ball of gas blowing up. The message is bigger than the messenger. If God does that in the natural world, let's not be surprised that he would do that in the scriptures. The message given through these human writers is more reliable than the human writers themselves. The message is greater than the messenger. The Bible is the word of Christ. It tells us what Jesus said and did so that we can know him. And when we know him, we know that Jesus loved the Bible. That's kind of a duh thing to say, right? I mean, the very first scripture that Caleb read for us this morning was from Matthew's gospel, and, and Jesus says, you know, human beings don't live just by eating stuff. The way we really live is by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, the person who says, who talks like that is somebody who loves the scriptures. When you say, any human being, if they really want to have life to the fullest, they need to feed on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus loved the Bible. That's why he talked like that. But let's press it a little bit deeper and ask why. Why did Jesus love the Bible? Well, we, we could list a hundred reasons, but let's not. Let's just talk about one. Jesus loved the Bible because in it, God offered him something so good that he could depend on it in his greatest moments of need. Now, your understanding of Jesus may not allow you to take seriously the thought that he had deep needs, right? So maybe you need to recover this sense that Jesus really became a human being. He's the son of God, and he took on humanity. He didn't stop being God to take on humanity, but he didn't take on the appearance of being human without its reality. 
We are needy creatures, and he took on this experience of what it is to have deep needs. And just as you and I have to learn to do, Jesus had to live out trusting his Father to meet those deepest needs. And one of the sources from which he drew for that was Scripture. And so we come to Matthew chapter 4 and see we see Jesus trusting God to give him strength, strength to resist temptation. He's being tempted in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and nights. The devil comes to him and says, hey, you're God's son. You can turn these rocks into bread and feed yourself, and voila, you're not hungry anymore. And Jesus' response is, what I need most is not bread. What I need most is to feed not on your words, Mr. Tempter, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where did Jesus learn to talk like that? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He's quoting it word for word. In a moment of temptation, when he's tempted to turn away from God to satisfy a real need, hunger, a real desire, relief from suffering, relief from uncertainty. Where's the next meal going to come from? when he's tempted to, to follow some other way than God's to meet those needs and desires, he draws strength from the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus receiving this gift of boldness from God's Word, boldness to pursue a purpose bigger than what other people are going to pressure him to do. Right, Luke tells us a story. Jesus is in a house. He's surrounded by a crowd. He's teaching. And uh, his family shows up outside, and they can't get to him because of the crowd. And so they send a message in. You know, they would have texted him if they had, you know, pocket machines of infinite knowledge is what I refer to them as sometimes. Um, you know, hey, Jesus, come outside now. Really important. And Jesus says... Tell them this, there is nothing more important than belonging to the family of those who love God's word and do it. My greatest priority right now is not to go outside and check in with my mother and brothers. My greatest priority right now is to be with my mother and brothers, my true family of those who have heard God speak and have said, yes, Lord, feed us more. That is my greatest priority. In a moment of distraction, Jesus finds this boldness to pursue something bigger because of this bond he shares with anybody anywhere who will say, I've heard the word and I want to do it. John chapter 17, the father gives Jesus comfort in a moment when he's anxious for the people he loves. Jesus is about to be arrested, and he knows that after his death and resurrection and ascension back to heaven, his disciples are going to face all kinds of rejection and persecution, uh, imprisonment, and even death. And he says, Father, I believe that your word is truth. Your word is the kind of truth that can prepare people to thrive under pressure so that when they are hated, they can return it with love. 
And when they are tempted to give up on you, they can, they can instead find faithfulness. Sanctify them by the truth. Father, your word is truth. Jesus loved the scriptures. Mark chapter 15. Not only finds comfort when he's concerned about his disciples and what they'll face, he finds courage to endure pain himself with honesty and yet without despair. You hear his prayer from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who taught you to pray like that? And his answer would be the scriptures. That's Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. That's Jesus praying the scriptures back to his Father and saying, right now, I know that you are my God, my God. Let me repeat it, my God. But right now, it doesn't feel like it. Right now, it just feels like you have abandoned me. You've walked away from me. You've turned your back on me. Why? It's this blend of um, deep honesty w without despair. Psalm 22, verse 24 goes on to say, hey, this is not despair. The psalmist says, right now, <laughs> you have abandoned me, but I know you have not hidden your face. Jesus kind of praying this thought of right now is crucifixion, but that's not the end of my story. Resurrection is coming. But Father, in the meantime, all I'm experiencing is pain and the absence of your goodness. And in his word, God offers you and me the same thing he offered over and over and over and over again to his son a chance to know him on that deep level that would say, you can come to me in any moment, no matter what the need. Is it a moment of temptation and you need strength? Is it a moment when you're distracted and you need your boldness to be refocused and renewed? Is it a moment when you're anxious for people that you love and you need comfort? Is it a moment when you are hurting and you need courage to face the pain? You can come to me in absolute honesty and I will strengthen you through the words I have spoken into this world. Because we love Jesus, we trust that God will use his word this way in our lives too. So what does that start to look like? What does it look like for you and me to love the Bible because we love Jesus? Let's talk about attitude and action. We'll start with attitude. An attitude of humility. If Jesus didn't try to see the stars with his naked eye, why would we think we could? If he didn't try to be someone who loved God without knowing the scriptures, why would I think that would work for me? An attitude of humility to say, Jesus, I trust that I am not greater than you are. 
We're living in an age when it's common for people to say, and I, and I get why many people are saying it, I want to be spiritual but not religious. Yeah, there's plenty of disappointment with religious leaders and institutions and their failures and flaws. I get it. I know the failures and flaws of religious leaders better than any of you because I know them from the inside out. But one of the dangers of trying to be spiritual without religious is that it often goes hand in hand with, I'm going to try to know Jesus without the Bible. But Jesus didn't try to be spiritual without the Bible. So I don't think that I should try it either. If Jesus needed the Bible to be Jesus, I think it makes sense that we need the Bible to know Jesus. Okay, well, let's translate that attitude of humility and trust and love for God's word into some actions. Um, it's baseball season. And by the way, the Cardinals are now tied for first place in the National League Central. But this sermon is not really about that. Um, and yet sports metaphors can be helpful. When, uh, so metaphor number one, um, team sport. Loving the scriptures is a team sport. Um, be around people. Bram said it earlier in the video. Be around people who will help you love Jesus by loving the Bible. You can do that face-to-face. -face. We do that every Sunday morning at 1045 right here in this space. Uh, we try to shape every worship service by the scriptures and to sing them and to pray them and to hear them and to feed on the promises of the scriptures. Um, we do that together. We do it in small groups. Jonathan talked about that earlier. Did he mention that he was excited? Um, you can't love the Bible by yourself. You can't love Jesus by yourself. You can't launch that fancy NASA satellite into space by yourself. A whole team of people. It's the same thing spiritually. We need teams. And uh, it's great to have a big team, but this team can't know you as deeply as a small team. So find small groups of people who love Jesus and love the Bible and get together and sharpen each other in that. Um, find mentors. Bram mentioned the importance of uh, connecting with people your own age. It's also important to connect with somebody who's more mature than you are. Those one-on-one -on -one conversations. When you get to say with honesty, hey, man, I'm not feeling it. Uh, it's been like three weeks since I cared about reading the Bible at all. It's been three weeks since anything I heard from the Bible had any impact on my soul. It's dead. I'm not getting anything out of it. You need a mentor who can speak some wisdom into you in that moment. I have mine, not because I'm awesome, but because I'm weak, and I need that encouragement. So team sport, you can do this remotely. Um, there are plenty of podcasts. There are plenty of uh, Bible reading apps, books written to help you know the scriptures and know Jesus better. Yeah, get all the equipment you need and teammates to play the game well. Um, and remember, single score runs too. You don't have to hit a home run every time. Like this idea of loving the Bible, it, it should be about realistic routines in our lives, not about perfect ones. Single score runs too. Over in the National League where the Braves and the Cardinals play, we're all about small ball, right? Don't you laugh, Angela Nance. Come on. Single score runs too. 
It doesn't have to be perfect. A resource I read recently is by a guy named Craig Shepard. It's called Daily Family Worship. If you Google Daily Family Worship and you come up with an image that looks like this, you found it. His name is Craig Shepard. Did I mention that? Um, two Ps. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things I love about this article is just how realistic it is. You know, it doesn't say... <clears throat> Every family should memorize seven chapters of the Bible daily. After thoroughly washing their hands and combing their hair and putting on their best necktie. Like, number one, nobody should ever wear a necktie. Number two, that's not realistic, right? That's not realistic. Single score runs two. Don't try to be perfect. Bring the word down into real life. Bring the word down into the moments when you're starving in the wilderness. Bring the word down into the moments when you're experiencing crucifixion agony. Bring the word down to the moments when you're worried about people you love. That's what Jesus did. And keep swinging. Keep swinging. You're not going to have one big moment that fixes everything. You're not going to have one big moment where you go from mm, kind of apathetic about the Bible to now I love it. Mm, read the Bible, you know, once every seven or eight weeks to now it's every day without fail. Wow. You're not going to have that moment. Just keep swinging. Right. Play the game a little bit every day. Stop waiting putting all that pressure for the perfect moment on yourself. I have never been a teacher of astronomy, but I think I would know how to answer the question if someone asked me or asked you, hey, you're teaching astronomy. Do you want your students to love the stars or do you want them to treasure their telescopes? I think I know how I want to answer that question. I don't want them to separate the two. I actually want them to treasure the telescopes because it helps them to know the beauty of the stars more deeply, more clearly, more truly. And that's the way it is with the scriptures. The Bible is the word of Christ. If we love Jesus... then we want to know God's word because we want to know Jesus. We don't want to rely just on the fuzziness of what we could perceive about him unaided by what God has said in the scriptures. And we surely don't want to become people who know all the ins and outs of this Bible but have forgotten to rejoice in knowing Jesus. We want to treasure this telescope because we love the beauty of the stars. All right, that's part one. We'll do part two next week. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking on our flesh and blood and for these beautiful moments in your life when we get to see that, that not in some sterile, merely academic way, 
you, you didn't stand up in a lecture hall and say, I love the Bible. You, you came face to face with struggle and with doubt and with pain and with pressure and with concern for your disciples. And every time you drew strength from your Father's Word, and in doing that, you gave us great hope that we don't have to trust our own wisdom, but we can sit at your feet and learn the way of wisdom along with you by feeding on every word that has come from the mouth of your God and our God. Amen.